Hey everyone, welcome. I am excited to finally dig in full on on one book of the scripture, namely Nehemiah. And so we are going to get a little bit more intense on the Bible. And this is necessary for where we are going this year as a community. Of course, everything we do has centered around scriptural topics and themes and kingdom uh, ideas as we've been looking to resurrect and reintegrate friendship back into all of our relationship dynamics. And that's been the vision from the start of the year, going through John 15 um, and talking talking about how Jesus has made us friends. He's laid his life down for his friends. And now we are going to talk about the work that is upon us because guys, it's been a tough season, tough season for the world, tough season for our church and a tough season uh, for us as individuals. And so we are going to find encouragement, renewal, and life from going through this book together because I know it's been hard. And that's why this series is called Broken and Battered, but Building. So here we are. We're going to find ourselves looking at a community of people here who have also gone through a really tough season, right? God's people, the context of Nehemiah is that God's people are in exile. They are slaves in a foreign land under a foreign dictator um, with different cultural practices all around. And, uh, And they've found out now that their city, their home, which they knew for, it's been like this for, I think it's about 140 years, has been laid in ruin. Okay, And so we're going to see in this story how God's people come out of a situation where they are broken and battered, but it's time to build. And I think that's the season we're at as Trinity Life Church and the the church in the city, to to be honest, and probably the church in the world is feeling a little bit of this. And so thank God that the scriptures are timeless and timely even for us now and today. And so uh, Nehemiah, just a little more background. It kind of comes as a book with, uh, as, as a pair with Ezra. And so you'll find in your Bible, if you turn to the book previous, that Ezra is right before it. And then Nehemiah comes right after Ezra. And they come together because Ezra and Nehemiah are two key leaders for the Old Testament people. Nehemiah, more the uh, logistical executive type leader. He's good at managing supply chain, building operations, integrating uh, with legal entities like the government, um, getting building permits, doing all this type of stuff. And Ezra is more the spiritual leader of the community. So he's the preacher. He'll show up with the worship band and they will have a good old time worshiping Jesus together. And so we'll see in these two books, you see a marrying of the practical work of the ministry and the spiritual work of the ministry that both are key and integrated together in order for the mission to move forward. So um, we see right here, we can start reading the scripture now and dig in on verse one, chapter one. So the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Okay, so this is Nehemiah's words. This is his writing. It's like his 
personal journal. And so number one point of application, maybe you and I should try keeping a journal so that the history and story of our faith, life, and work can be recorded for the generations that come after us. I know it's tough work. I know it's hard. Some of you maybe do it already, but as we are becoming a church that is more and more non and new Christians, this is a practice that Christians like to do and have tried to do over the generations. And I myself am still trying to integrate this as part of my life and work. And uh, and all I'm aiming to do is just one or two sentences every day and just journal away my thoughts, my prayers, my hopes, or even just what happened that day. And so let's see what this man has said in his journal. We get a little peek behind the curtain. Okay. Uh, Now, it happened in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, I being Nehemiah, I was in Susa, the citadel. So Susa is the capital of Persia, right, where they are in Babylon, Uh, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with a certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. So, hey, what's going on in Jerusalem? What's go- How is the city? Are there any people left? What is the state of the place? What does it look like, right? And they said to me, here's the reply, the remnant there in the province, so those who remained, those who stayed, uh, there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Okay, so... Um, this, the people of God are in a state, right? They're, they're in this place where the city is destroyed, right? The, the gates have been destroyed by fire. So it's burned it to the ground. Everything lays in ruin. Some people have stayed, uh, they're a disaster, right? Great shame. They probably struggling to eat. Um, Definitely there's no work, right? There's probably mass homelessness. Um, It's just just a disaster, right? And why is that? Why is that? Okay. You, You see over the story of the Old Testament that God is forming a people, right? So from Abraham, he moves people to a promised land, Uh, They build the temple, they worship God, they have a way of life and being and God has provided for them, God has made a way for them, God has rescued them from literal slavery, 400 years of of slavery in Egypt, okay, and um, so they have great reason to rejoice and to be faithful to this God, right, who came to Abraham basically out of nowhere, Abraham's like, what is this voice, and he obeys and follows this voice, and uh, And God brings them to this land and they call it the land flowing with milk and honey. It's abundant. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And they can thrive there, right? But generally what happens over the years, as they get more and more comfortable, as they live in God's blessing, God's blessing doesn't to them, or it ceases to be amazing. It ceases to them to be wonderful and starts to become assumed and normal, And what does that create? That creates laziness. That creates expectation that this is how it's always going to be. It creates apathy. 
It creates the degradation and decay of regular cultural practices of worship and faithfulness to the scriptures and gatherings in the temple and reverence for leadership of the spiritual community of faith. It creates uh, disdain for things that would hinder things uh, that maybe uh, allow for more licentious behavior, right? That, yeah, I just want to be happy. I just want to indulge. I just want to, why do I have to attend time? Why do I have to make sacrifices? I've, and the sacrifice is to be the best of my, the best of my um, flock of, of goats or sheep. It has to be the best heifer in my whole flock of cows, right? Her herd of cows. Um, and so, well, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. I just, that's for me. I could sell that one. I could make a lot more money that I could use to buy a bigger house and nicer wagon, or, you know, you might say a modern day car. Uh, I could use that to go out for a nicer dinner. Uh, so I won't sacrifice to God. I won't, I won't give to the temple. I won't, I just want a nicer life. I just want to relax. I just want to be comfortable, right? So there's this decline and decay in faithfulness and cultural practice um, amongst the people of God and to the point where they just don't worship God anymore, right? Um, they stop making decisions to benefit the outsiders, the widows and the orphans, you know? They start focusing on themselves. And the church at that point in time, right, the people of God, uh, if they did participate at all, it was kind of just playing the part, playing the role, playing church, you might say, right? Going along with it because we've always gone along with it. And so what happens? What happens? God burns it to the ground. He burns it to the ground. God's not about playing church. So he burned the church down, the literal church building. He burned down the walls that protected the people of God. He ripped the doors out of certain sections of the wall. He burned the leaders' houses down. And so there was no protection. There was no leadership. There was no <clears throat> temple. And the people get invaded and taken over, right? Now, it's people invaded and taken over did this through God's divine anointing and power. Because you see, when the people of God went into battle previously, if God's presence and power was with them, they defeated their enemy no matter what the odds and what the numbers, right? It's when God's hand is removed from them that this happens. Because God doesn't play church. He doesn't accept lip, lip service with no lifestyle to match, right? It's just not going to work. <clears throat> the term is called apostasy, right? And there's mass apostasy in this day and age. And this is a military term that means you have uh, not just, um, you've not just like abandoned your post, you know? This is, you've like stopped serving your side and you've turned towards the enemy. You've now committed treason against the state and you are now not only not helping your side, but you're probably benefiting the other side, right? <clears throat> okay, so what is, what is next? Well, let's talk about the remnant, right? There is a remnant there in the province who survived the exile and is in great trouble. And there is probably also in Babylon, um, well, we know this to be the case, there is a remnant in Babylon 
who wants to be faithful, who wants to return home, who wants to see the temple restored, who wants to uh, worship God in, in faithfulness and in presence and promise in the land that God had promised them with the people uh, whom, of whom they identify with together as God's family. <clears throat> now, let's talk about this guy, Nehemiah. Right, because in the end of this chapter, in verse twelve, it says he's cupbearer to the king, and we'll um, we'll read the parts in the middle in a second. But he's cupbearer to the king, the king, the king. What kind of guy is the king? Well, the king is somebody who murdered his brother in order to reign. He has quelled two rebellions against him, and he rules pretty intensely over the course of 40 years. His reign is 40 years, okay? And this is a tough, tough dictator in a time in which at any moment, and for this guy, he quelled two of these, at any moment, uh, people could, could create a coup to try and murder you to take your position. That's what he did to gain power, which is pretty wild, okay? So this is a pretty intense guy. And Nehemiah is here as his cupbearer, okay? <clears throat> and what is he like? Well, Nehemiah, um, he probably came from a white-collar family, right? This is uh, what is going to be then used as the foundation for his uh, character and ability to, um, uh, to create systems and to organize and to lead and, and all of this, right? Uh, but to be the cupbearer of the king, he had to be a man of good character, right? His job was to check the wine for poison so that the king wasn't murdered, okay? And so if that's your job, you probably know that you did a good job if you died and the king didn't, okay? And so the king really has to trust you with his life and your life that you will make the best decision for his sake. So Nehemiah is a man of high, high, high integrity. And we're going to see Nehemiah gets great opportunity. Great opportunity. Why is that? It's because Nehemiah has great integrity and high character. And so I've heard it said like this, that your character today creates your opportunity for the future. Your character today creates your opportunity for the future. If you have good integrity and faithfulness of character with the relationships and people in your life at this very moment, you will see that those relationships, people, and people in your life can create great opportunity for you. But if you're flaky, if you ghost all the time, if you're bad at returning uh, text messages or communicating, if you're kind of like, eh, not today, maybe tomorrow, you're always pushing things to the right, it's not good character, not good integrity, and people will not want to give you opportunity and open you up uh, for things in the future. But Nehemiah is not like that. He has high character, high integrity, high trust, high responsibility, and he's ready to do the work and he's willing to die for the work, okay? And so when Nehemiah hears this news, what happens? What does he do? Well, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down, wept and mourned for days. So wept and mourned for days. And then after that, and I continued 
fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Okay, so his reaction to the news of the city, of which they've already known that this was the case for 140 years, was total heartbreak, total heartbreak, mourning, fasting, praying. Okay. Sometimes it takes hearing something you've already known in a particular way at a particular time under God's anointing to break your heart and prepare you for action. That doesn't mean that you can ignore those messages until you think it's the right time. But just for some reason, your soul, your mind, and your heart breaks when you hear a particular message. And so what's the particular message for Trinity Life then? So that's what it was for the people of Israel. Here it is for Trinity Life. In the last couple of years, well, in the last 10 years, on this mission together, we've gone from three founding families down to one. One of those founding families left in about year four, four and a half, five. One of those founding families left last year, 2022, and one remains. Trinity Life's church started because friends came together in faith. Say, God has called us here. God has, has asked us to do something here. God has broken our heart for the city. God has broken our heart for the mission. God has broken our heart for the state of things. Let's come together. Let's pray. Let's fast. And let's see what might happen. And friends who weren't friends before, but we came together and became friends, became friends in faith faith that God might move, act, do, and do something amazing. But over 10 years, two of those families have gone home and one remains. In the last few years, our church has gone from uh, probably about 250 people that call uh, this church their home down to about maybe uh, 100, 120 depending, and maybe less, right? We're still feeling the ripples of the last few years. We've gone from about 30 leaders down to about 12. We've Our downtown has gone from five R3 groups down to two R3 groups. The men, one men's, one women's. We've gone from a budget of about uh, targeting and aiming at about $500,000 of spending in a year down to about $140,000 in spending in a year. We've gone from 75 covenant members down to 29. How does that make you feel? What breaks your heart? And what's your reaction? Nehemiah weeps, mourns, and fasts for days, weeks, and months over the state of his people. What's your reaction?
Let's see. How does he pray? We get an interesting look into how a man like this would pray. And there's a lot to be learned here. And I hope that you take notes. <clears throat> he starts off with, O oh Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. <laughs> Amazing. He starts with praise. He starts with praise. He lifts up God's faithfulness, goodness. It's just beautiful because what do we tend to do? We tend to start with the problems, don't we? We tend to start with the problems. And I know it's tempting. It's so tempting because there's a lot of problems. There's a lot of heartbreak out there. We, we can start with problems and we can start with complaining. And we usually start with that in our own lives, right? Our own personal situations, our own personal comfort, our own personal preferences. It's like, God, I want things this way. This isn't happening. I didn't get this job promotion. I didn't get, why is this not happening? What's going on here? But Nehemiah, and I would implore to us, we should be people that start with praising God first in all of our prayers. Because you probably already think about yourself enough. If that's the case, this will probably lead to poor mental health. And it's probably a part of why poor mental health is on such a massive rise in our world today, right? With a culture of narcissism, social media, navel-gazing, independence, consumerism, me, mine, myself. <clears throat> it's no wonder because we don't start with praise. We start with ourselves, our own comfort, and our own preferences. Now, again, there's much more robust uh, approach to mental health and much larger discussion to be had, for sure. And I'm not trying to make light of any of that. Um, this is just, where are you at? How's it going for you? Do you start with praise or do you start with problems? Just think about that for yourself and see where it goes, okay? And I know for me in the seasons of life where I'm more focused on what God is calling me to do, God's mission, God's people, God's community, and I'm out in my neighborhood serving others, helping others, loving others, sharing the message with others, I'm much happier. I'll just let you know that. That's just personal testimony from me that when I'm outward focused and when I'm God focused, I'm in a much better place in my life. And where does he move to? Well, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open. This is verse six. To hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. He moves to repentance. 
right? God, you were right. We were wrong. And not just those people, me, my father's house, I have acted corruptly. I have not kept the commandments and the statutes and the rules that you commanded. Guys, when life is hard, when you've been through a hard season, we can't just all of a sudden expect everything to be okay out of nowhere. If we've been ignoring problems for a long time, we can't just expect them to go away. We have to, have to, have to repent of our part, of our sin, of our own turning away from God through that hard season. And you'll see why. If we, if we persevere in this, we'll see, we'll see why. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. But let's keep reading through Nehemiah and see where his prayer goes. Okay? He's going to move to then <clears throat> agreeing with God's promises. So we have praise. Starts with the letter P. Repent. Repentance of sin. The letter R. Agreeing with God's promises. The letter A. P. R. A. Let's see where this goes. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place where I have chosen to make my name dwell there. How cool is that? How cool is that? <clears throat> he told this to Moses. And if you start with praise and you repent and you remember God's promises and you agree with them, because this is God's promise, right? If you want to know what happens after repentance and coming back to, to the Lord, this is what happens. You can agree with his promises and they will be that much closer to being your reality. Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of the heavens, from there I will gather them and bring to the place I have chosen to make my name dwell there. He's taught, this is the land. This is the place in which the presence of God dwells amongst the people of God. And that promise is fully realized. He references Moses, right? Moses, remember the word that you commanded Moses. They were slaves in Egypt. And they were set free. They had to walk through the desert and that was rough. And there was a lot of complaining and grumbling and wanting to go back to slavery from there. But instead, the leaders maintain the mission and the vision, bring them to the river. And they're able to cross and enter in. And God fought the battles for them. And they received the promise. And they were able to develop a lifestyle of worship. They were able to enjoy God's presence and see fruitfulness in the land and abundance and joy. It's amazing. Let's continue on. So we have P-R-A. I wonder what's next. Start in verse 10. 
They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Just yearn, yearn for God's blessing. Yearn for it, yearn for it, want it, eagerly seek it. If you have never prayed before in your life, and I know this is more a reality for our community than ever because we've been doing such a great job reaching people in our neighborhoods and we have a lot of new people to faith. And even by this point of you guys seeing this recording, there may be more people who've come alongside our community. Uh, I would encourage you to pray like this, where you would praise God, you would repent of turning away from him, you would agree with his promises and you would yearn that he would move and act in your life and in and amongst the community in which you live. And amazing things can happen. Amazing things can happen in that place. Now, here's something. Here's something that I want for us. Nehemiah says, he is a servant eight times throughout the course of this prayer because things will only change if God's people are servants, not consumers. Servants, not consumers. That we serve our community, that we serve other people, that we look outwards, that we want the best for our neighborhoods, the leaders in our neighborhoods, the people in our neighborhoods, those who are outcasts in our neighborhoods. We need to be servants, primarily servants of Jesus, and servants of others. And so I got some homework for you guys, and this is the homework, okay? Number one, you guys are gonna spend time with your R3 leaders um, or whoever you're with, if you're watching this online, right? Ask God what breaks your heart. What breaks your heart? And I'm going to give you five areas in which to ask this. What is breaking your heart for Trinity Life Church, your church, your community of faith? What's breaking your heart in your neighborhood? What's breaking your heart in your city? What's breaking your heart in your country? And what's breaking your heart in the world? Okay, we're just coming out of Easter. It was a great time. And now it's time to enjoy and ride the blessing of Resurrection Sunday into the rest of our year. And start with what breaks your heart. Because what causes you to mourn will become your mission or should become your mission. What causes you to mourn should become your mission. Number two, I want you to pray. I want you together as an R3 group, friends in faith, I want you to become deeper and deeper friends in faith by praying, by praising God, repenting of sin, agreeing with God's promises, and yearning for God's blessing. And so have fun in your R3 groups doing that. I can't wait to go deeper in this book of Nehemiah. If you have not yet, I want you to read this book over and over and over and over. We will be in it through about halfway through August together. And so let's know this book intimately. Let's Let's glean as much kingdom perspective 
as we can so that we can see amazing stuff happening in our neighborhoods. Have fun doing this homework with your R3 groups and I hope to see you soon.